Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to see you all again. Uh, thank you for being here with us. Uh, we're just really excited for what God has for us. We've been really uh, enjoying this series through the five thresholds and walking through the different ways that people come to faith and, and the different steps that that looks like. And so before I give the context as a reminder of where we've been, I want to uh, just ask a question uh, just to get us started today, that if you had an afternoon where you um, had the time to uh, just kind of go uh, to a store that you just loved going to, but you didn't have to. You didn't have a list. You just wanted to walk around and enjoy that time. I wonder what stores those might be for you. So maybe you're someone who uh, really enjoys going to Target, and you're just like, give me the Starbucks that's at the front of the Target, and like one of those little fancy drink holders that goes over the cart, and I can just walk around Target for a while, and I don't need to get anything. It's just nice to do that. Anyone else? Target people, wonderful. I've got a couple. Okay, good. Um, what about maybe some of you are, you are like a, like give me a Barnes and Noble, like just go into a bookstore, and you know that you could find this on Amazon, and you know it could just be a couple clicks away, but yet there's nothing like going and like looking at a book and just walking around and looking at the different aisles. Anyone, anyone, it doesn't have to be Barnes and Noble, but like a bookstore. We've got some very excited people in the back about that, which makes me very happy. Uh, maybe some of you are like addicts sporting goods, and maybe it's because you're involved in sports, your kids are involved in sports. Maybe it's because you're like me and you look at sports, not because you're good at them, because you wish it what might have been. And you're like, oh, that could have been me, but it wasn't. And so um, maybe you're someone who's like, you just love to go and to walk around. And you don't need to necessarily get anything but you're just wandering around and enjoy that process. Maybe some of you are Hobby Lobby and you love being able to, to decorate and to connect and to have a, a home or a place feel very warm. Some of you, it's more like a Home Depot or a Lowe's. Some of you, there's different ones where maybe you don't even have a list or something you're specifically looking for, but it's just fun to be able to go and wander around without an agenda, without a list, but just enjoy your time. Does anyone have some, it doesn't have to be one I mentioned, but does anyone have a store like that that you think? I love to be able to do that. Okay, this is a sidebar. This is not part of the message at all, but um, sometimes we are so busy and everything seems so urgent and everything seems like we're in such a rush that we don't have a time to just slow down and enjoy wandering around. That maybe it's going on a hike and you, have, you just want to be able to go and be in nature. And, and we've unfortunately experienced times where we just feel so rushed. There's always something to do, always somewhere to go, always someone to meet that we missed out on just wandering. And that could be refreshing. However, for today and for our purposes, we're going to try to navigate what it's like to go beyond wandering. Because recently... Uh, we had an opportunity to go hang out with some, uh, some new friends uh, on Labor Day, and we were going to go uh, to their house. They have a pool, and so the girls were excited about swimming. And the girls, um, Shaylin already had a set of goggles, but Elise, we told her we would get goggles before the next time we went swimming, but we had not gotten them yet. And she, as kids are very good at doing, uh, reminds us of things last minute, right? And so we're getting ready to go, and we've got, it's probably maybe an hour or so before we need to be there. It's like, well, what about my goggles? And we're like, oh, you're right. And so we look at Target, and Target doesn't have goggles. It's the end of the summer season. So like, we're going to go to Dick's Sporting Goods. And so she and I go, we drive there. And this was not a wandering trip to Dick's Sporting Goods. This isn't me looking at, oh, remember when I used to play baseball? Oh, remember when I used to play football? No, me neither. Remember when I used to want to do that? This was not a wandering. This was like, wear your goggles, 
because we need them right now. We have to be somewhere in, in like 30 minutes now. Uh, so wear your goggles. And so it's like, you know, aisle 32 QZ, I don't know. And so we go back there, we look, we find them. And then there's like a wall of goggles. And um, Elise is not the most decisive of things. Um, and so it's like we see all these goggles and she's, it's like, okay, so we look for the size. I'm like, it's one of these two. And she's like, I don't know. I'm like, all right, the blue one, like, let's go. So, um, but it's one of those where there's a difference when you walk into that store. If you have time and there's no agenda, you can wander, you can enjoy, you can go slowly, you can not have any urgency. But when you're in a moment where like, I need goggles from aisle 23QZ, I need them because we have to go somewhere now, you enter in with a different mindset. If you will, you cross into the threshold of that store differently. Today, we're going to talk about this fourth threshold through our series, the threshold that goes from wandering and wandering in a relationship or maybe wanting to find out more about Jesus to truly seeking him. Because this is a vital, vital threshold and one in which many of us will either find ourselves currently or we know someone who is there now. And one of the main points of our entire series is that we want those that we know and love most to know and love Jesus. And so there's different ways we can go about that, different ways we can walk through that, and they're all in a different place in their journey. But before we unpack what that looks like, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you so much for each person that is listening to my voice right now, whether that's here in person, whether that's here online this morning, or whether it's listening to the podcast later on. Lord, I pray that each person who hears my voice knows that they're deeply loved by you. And God, I pray that as we dive into your word today, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. And God, may you uh, help us to walk through this journey with those we know and love so that they can know and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. And as you turn there, uh, we have Bibles in the seat racks in front of you. If you have your Bible app on your phone, you can do that. If you brought your own Bible, you can do that as well, of course. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. And unpacking the idea that many people will, will wander around wanting to learn or hoping to learn about Jesus. But those who truly seek him will find him. Now, I would have taken me a long time to find the goggles in aisle 23QZ, but it took me a while if I hadn't asked, but I knew what I was seeking for. I asked for help, and I went to where we needed to go, and we were able to be only fashionably late as opposed to offensively late. And so recognizing that there's an important difference there. To give a very quick review for some of you who maybe are just joining us or missed a couple of weeks, we are going through a series called The Five Thresholds, which is based on this book, I Once Was Lost, not my notes, on the book, I Once Was Lost uh, by Don Everts, Doug Shop, by InterVarsity Press. And they interviewed thousands of people and found out how did you get to a place from being far from God and having no interest in God to someone who's following him full, uh, wholeheartedly. And in that, they looked at the different thresholds, that the stories weren't the same, but there were certain processes or questions or thresholds they crossed that were. The first one was going from distrust to trusting a Christian, that just basic trusting and having a relationship with, another, with a Christian that you can trust was vital to the first step. The second one was going from being indifferent to really curious about God, curious about Jesus. 
The third one we, re- we talked about last week was being close to change, where you might be curious, but you don't want God to actually change your life. To open to change, what might God do? And how might that impact me? This week is threshold four, going from wandering to seeking him. And then threshold five, which we'll hit on next week, is the idea of entering into his kingdom, from, to be fully devotedly following him. But we're right here at the third threshold, or the fourth threshold, excuse me. And the reason this one is important is because for those of us who trust Jesus and we know him and we love him, we know that he is the way and the truth and the life. We know that if someone is truly seeking truth, if someone sincerely wants truth, not with their own bias or their own biases, not with their own you know, lens through which they see life, that they want to see truth just the way that it applies to them, this isn't the idea of, oh, I have my truth and you have your truth. This is the truth. And if someone is seeking the truth with their whole heart, they will find Jesus at the end of that road. That Jeremiah 29, 13 talks about with, from the voice of God saying, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. So if we're fully devoted to the seeking, we will end up in a place where we will be fully devoted in our following of him. So this is a vitally important step, a vitally important threshold from wandering to seeking. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to be in John chapter 1, verse 35 through 42. And we're going to just look at these few verses and pick out three um, just simple truths that come out of this passage about the difference between wandering versus seeking. How are those different? And what do true seekers do or know or believe or think that's different than someone who's wandering or meandering? What's the difference between someone who goes into a store knowing what they want versus those who are just walking through the aisles wondering what might have been? So here's the first point that we're going to talk about as we see in our, in our passage here is that true seekers know what they are looking for. They know what they're looking for. There's something on their list and they're going for that directly. Here's what the scripture says, John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. We'll stop there, just a few verses, but let's look at the context here, what's going on. That this section talks about the calling of a few of Jesus' very first followers, his disciples. In the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, also known as the Synoptic Gospels because they have the same view and very similar stories, they talk about the, the calling of the disciples and how it was from their fishers, fishermen and how they became fishers of men. And so John's is not, it's not wrong. It's looking at it from a different perspective and looking at it from a different uh, calling of different disciples. Also with that said, for just to kind of help out as we look through this, in the New Testament, which is uh, from Jesus' birth, um, from the Gospels all the way through Revelation, you're going to notice that there's a lot of Marys there, especially in the Gospels, and there's also a lot of Johns. And so I just want to be clear right off the bat that John, the book of John, is written by John the Apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved, one of his very closest friends. John the Apostle is writing about John the Baptist here. And so when he talks about John said these things, it's, it's John the Baptist. And then we'll see later on that uh, Peter, his dad, was named John, which is disconnected from the rest. So lots of Johns. We'll walk through it together. But um, 
the point of this is that this is the calling. And when you're in a section of pass, a passage of scripture and you see words like verse 35, it says like the next day, John was there again. It points us to the fact that this is a continuation of a story that was in previous verses. So in the previous day, we see that John the Baptist, as recorded by John the Apostle in the gospel, but John the Baptist looks and he talks about Jesus. He sees Jesus and says, look, that is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Which, friends, we, we have a hard time equating this to our culture today because in that culture, in the Jewish culture, they look at the Day of Atonement and excuse me, Leviticus 16 and Yom Kippur, this idea that there was one day, one day in which your sins would be covered up by the blood of a lamb. We see it also in the Exodus story in which the, the, the um, people were able to be set free from the plague of the firstborn dying because the blood of the lamb covered their doors. So the blood of the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, excuse me, points to salvation from freedom from sin, and it points to something far greater than these, these people even were aware of because they were following John the, the Baptist and his followers. They were following him, and they knew he was a good teacher. They knew he was a prophet. They knew he was baptizing people. They knew he was repenting, or excuse me, he was calling people to repent for the kingdom of God was near. But when the guy they were following, John the Baptist, for the second day in a row, looks to Jesus and says, that's him. That's the Lamb of God. They didn't waste any time staying with John the Baptist. They knew what they were looking for. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the one who could take away sins. They were looking for the one that had been promised in the scriptures hundreds of years earlier. They were looking for Jesus. They just didn't know that he was the one that was right walking in front of them until John the Baptist communicated it. They knew what they were looking for. They wasted no time. Number two, the second thing that we see here is not just that they know what they're looking for, but they accept the invitation to spend time with Jesus. See, people who are truly following or truly seeking God, excuse me, they know they're not just looking for another um, vague belief about a God. They're trying to see, is Jesus who he says he is? They may be investigating other faiths as well because they're looking for truth. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for hope. They're looking for life. And they're saying it has to be somewhere around here. And if they're truly seeking and they know what they're looking for, they will find Jesus at the end of that journey. But it is still a journey, a journey with bumps and bruises and ups and downs and stumbles and trips and difficulties and trials. But at the end of that journey... We find ourselves at the foot of the cross in front of the empty tomb, recognizing that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a horrible death, and he was raised to new life to invite us to experience eternal life. True seekers accept the invitation to spend time with Jesus. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Jesus' simple invitation to seekers everywhere is come and see. He invites us to follow him and to see what he 
can do in our lives. People who are truly seeking Jesus. This is how you, one of the ways you could tell someone who's curious versus truly seeking. People who are curious may not necessarily want to spend time with Jesus. They want to just kind of learn, but they're not, they, they don't say, I want to read the Bible too and find out what it says about Jesus. They are not people who would often say, hey, I want to go to church with you to really discover who Jesus is and what that's about, what he's about. They're often people who are just generally interested in the idea of God or in belief, and, and they pursue kind of more um, a generality about God rather than the specificity of Jesus. And so someone who's truly seeking when Jesus says, come and see what I can do for you, come and spend time with me, they say, yes, I want that. They say, yes, that is who I want to follow. That's who I want to learn more about. So you may have people in your life that it's unclear if they're curious or if they're threshold two or if they're in threshold four of truly seeking him. And one of the ways you can know is that people who are seeking want to spend time with Jesus, whether that's through asking you about prayer and wanting to pray with you, whether that's going through a study with you, um, whether that means they just want to go to a Bible study around other Christians just to be around other Christians. Those are people who are truly seeking the people who are truly following him, and they accept that invitation to spend time with Jesus. And so the third part we talked about here is this idea that not only do they do those two things, but they also are people who have a sense of urgency. They have a sense of urgency. Let's read this, verses 40 through 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John, excuse me, what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. See, at this point, there's a sense of urgency that they're seeking, they're wanting hope, they're wanting purpose, they're wanting life, they're wanting something in their lives to change. And when they receive the invitation from Jesus to spend time with him, and then they realize who he is, they don't waste any more time. Some of us, if we've grown up in the church, we kind of grow up knowing that Jesus is always around, that, that God loves us, and that's awesome, but there's not always that urgency to follow and surrender our lives to him. We kind of think, well, I go to church and I, you know, I, I go to children's ministry or youth ministry or I'm in a small group. I just, this is just what I do. And, and yet the urgency may not be there because we just think, oh, well, God's always with me. Is it great to have, grow up in that? Absolutely. Is it great to know that God is with you? Absolutely. But does that replace the urgency for the need to surrender our lives to Jesus? Absolutely not. We still need to surrender our lives to him. And so I think, for me at least, when I usually think of the word urgency, like there's a difference between like, um, like urgency and I always equate it, or I often equate it to like emergency, right? Like there's a negative connotation to emergency. Like if you've um, ever been on a long uh, road trip uh, with kids and then they tell you like they need to find a restroom, but they always wait a little too long to tell you, 
That is what we call an emergency. We're like, we got to go, we got to find something, and then you're on the five, like, sweet, there's a blue sign that just said the next restrooms are in 41 miles. We're in for a long road, right? Like, we recognize that there's, that's an emergency. When you're in a hospital, there's urgent care and there's the emergency room. There, there is a difference. But when it comes to this idea of urgency, they, they have a sense of urgency, is not necessarily mean the negative side of something bad has happened and now we need to find the restroom. We need to find the way out. It's not that. It's the idea that something has to be done now. Elise earlier this week was asking me, um, I don't even know how we got on the topic, but she's like, Daddy, what does urgent mean? I'm like, have you been reading my sermon notes so that I can have a sermon illustration, you sweet, sweet girl? Um, but no, she was just asking what it meant. I'm like, oh, like it means you have to do something like right away. And it's something where you don't, you don't waste time. You just, you have to go. And the disciples, specifically Andrew, who was following John the Baptist, had a sense of urgency. Walk through this with me for a moment. John was, excuse me, Andrew was following John the Baptist. He hears that Jesus is the, the Lamb of God. So then he goes to Jesus and he approaches him as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a well-respected um, man who, who was godly and who was wise and from whom he could learn. Then he spends the day with him. It's already four in the afternoon. It's not like there was a lot of the day left, but he spent whatever day, time of that day he could spend with him and by the end of that day, he's not just talking about Jesus as a rabbi. He's now going to his brother and saying, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one our hearts have longed for. We have found the one prophesied from the scriptures for hundreds of years. We have found the one who is the chosen one of God, who's going to come and take away the sins of the world. He doesn't have that knowledge and then wait on it for a couple of days. He doesn't make this decision to, that Jesus is the Messiah and then just kind of sit on his laurels like, I made, a, I made a, a good theological connection. No, no. He made sure that what he knew in his head was a belief in his heart and it took action with his words and with his steps. That the first thing he did was to tell someone else about him, about Jesus. The first thing he did was he went and he found his brother and told him that we found the Messiah. He's here. I got to spend time with him. He likes fish cooked the same way that we do. He, he eats bread like we eat bread. He's fully flesh. He's a, he's a man, but he's also God. And then he learns these things over time, but it's through this process he knows the Messiah's here. You have to come. There's urgency. We know what we're looking for. We're looking for the Messiah. We spend time with Jesus. And then when we've spent time with him, there's a sense of urgency that this cannot wait any longer. So what does this look like? A few nights ago, I was actually on 9-11. Um, we were having our family devotionals at bedtime. And um, I forget exactly how it came up, but we were talking about the girls. Um, you know, every night, uh, Elise asks each of us in the family what, um, what we're going to dream about. And it's, it's, it's the exact same thing for all of us, but it's like her routine, and she just does it every single night. And so my answer is always um, that you girls will know and love Jesus every day of your lives. And so we're talking about Jesus, talking about this, and, you know, Shailen, um, many of you were, uh, I'm so grateful many of you were here when she got baptized uh, in May, in the end of May. Um, and so it's super exciting, and we're praying for her to continue to grow. 
And with Elise, I said, Elise, do you, like, have you, like, have you asked Jesus to go into your heart? And she's like, well, Shaylin prayed with me when I was three, which was true. Like, at her th- when she was three, that's when Shaylin prayed. And so she's like, I want to le- lead Elise to pray for Jesus. I'm like, yes, I love it. But now she's, Elise is six, and so she was, you know, so I did that. I'm like, well, do you, do you feel like Jesus is in your heart? Do you know that? She's like, she's like, I don't know. I'm like, this is a big deal. Um, but... Um, <laughs> But then, uh, we, so we pray, we, we, and then I go within the bed, um, bedroom with her, and I pray for her, I pray for both the girls individually, and I'll pray for her, and I'm like, so honey, like, do you, like, do you want to, you want to pray right now and ask Jesus to come into your heart? She's like, yeah. And so we prayed, and she repeated after me, and uh, it was just this beautiful moment, and we, we both, or, you know, we all as a family realized that we would remember it because it was on 9-11, and we would remember um, that that was the day that she you know, really prayed for God to enter in her heart. And, you know, some might say, well, she's only six. How can she know? But God honors those prayers, right? The reason we invest so much in our children's ministry is we know that we want to build a firm or give them a firm foundation for life on the foundation of who Jesus is. And so being able to pray with her. But you know what we didn't do? We didn't wait to ask the question. It wasn't like, oh, do you want to know Jesus? Yes. Sweet, I'm going to send you a calendar invitation for about three weeks from now, and we'll talk about this again. She's like, what's a calendar? No. Um, But it's recognized that in that moment, we strike while the iron's hot. So for those of us, and there's people we know and love, that we want to know and love Jesus, you're going to start seeing some of these signals. They want to spend time with Jesus and other Christians. They know what they're looking for. And you're going to sense a sense of urgency. with, like, I need to know about Jesus now. And may we have the the love and the boldness to say, do you want to pray right now about that? Can we, you know, can we, let's not put this off. Let's strike while the iron's hot. Let's ask and step forth in boldness because you never know when your willingness to just ask the question will open up the doors of eternity for the people we know and love to know and love Jesus. So what does this look like? What is it, how do we go from recognizing that in threshold four, there are people who are just kind of wandering and they're, they're looking and they want to know, but they're not fully seeking wholeheartedly yet. They're walking through Dick's Sporting Goods, wondering what might have been, but they don't know they're looking for the, gla- the goggles on row 23QZ. What do we do? Well, what we do is we want to help clarify the quest for them. We want to make it more clear. What does it look like to make this journey from wandering to seeking? And so inside the book, they give a couple of lists of what it looks to clarify the quest, what it looks like to, um, to live the kingdom out in such a way that it makes it clear for, for people who are seeking what it, that means to follow Jesus. We're going to unpack a few of those together today. The first thing that it looks like here in order to clarify the quest is to share what God is teaching you. Like, Go and you could share, hey, I heard, you know, this sermon or I read this in my Bible today during my devotional or whatever it is. But show them and model for them that God didn't just, there's not just the Bible that was written thousands of years ago that has no impact on our life. No, no, God's word is living. It is active. He speaks clearly to us through his word. And so if you're reading something, you hear something, you can say, 
man, I was amazed. God really challenged me with this this weekend. Or, oh my gosh, I love how in the Psalms God mentioned this and then I saw the, 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 something that connected to it. I mean, whatever it is, one of the ways we clarify the quest, one of the ways that we show people how to live in the kingdom of God before they cross that threshold is to share what God is teaching us now so that they can see that God is still working, he's still moving, he's still speaking. You know, one of the beautiful things about that is that what are the, if you know this, if you've been in a teaching role in any capacity, you realize that you have to do a lot more learning before you're ready to do the teaching. In the same way, God will be working on us and teaching us more about himself so that we can walk people through that journey as well. So we grow in our faith while we're trying to walk through that threshold with other people. The second thing, in addition to sharing what God is teaching, we also have the opportunity to move from praying for someone only to praying with them. Do we still pray for them? Absolutely. Of course we do. But in this journey, we've, been, we've asked you to pray for two people, specifically by name, that you would be praying that they would come to know Jesus and that you would have a role to play along these thresholds. And so you've been praying for them, and you still are praying for them. But in this stage, in this threshold, there's an opportunity for us to now not just pray for them, but to pray with them, to show them what it's like to talk to God. Because they may think it's something that's, you know, just weird. They may think it's scary. They may be really intimidated. They may think it's goofy. I mean, they may have different concepts of what it means to pray. And so if you say, can we pray together about this? Then it shows them that prayer is talking to God. Yeah, it's thanking him for what he's done. It's confessing sin. It's, it's asking for things. It's adoring him. And but it's talking to God. It's talking to the one you love and listening to what he says in return. And so as you are praying not just for them, but you start praying with them, you model for them. You show them what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom, God still speaks through his word, and he still speaks to us through prayer. And he loves to hear our prayers. There aren't secret words that he only responds to. That if you only know the insider language, he loves to hear our prayers and to meet us and to speak to us. Number three, the third thing we do is we answer their questions using ATTIC. And ATTIC is um, an acronym. Uh, and so the only thing better than having lists at the end of a sermon is to have a list within a list. And so we're going to go through that very briefly together. Um, but the book talks about how when someone asks you a question, give them answers that are satisfying, not just... Um, not just head knowledge or theologically or rationally. Of course, we want theolog theology to be correct. I'm not dismissing that. But answer questions in a way that impacts them, um, maybe by you sharing personally. Here's what that looks like. If you use the ADDIC acronym, the first step is to affirm their question. Say, so, you know what, that is a great question. And I'm so glad you asked, you asked that question. Your next line might be, I don't have the answer for you, but I would love to give me a week, give me three days. I'm going to study it and learn about it, and we can discuss it more. That might be your answer, and guess what? That's a great answer because you're modeling what it looks like to seek the Lord for them. So you affirm their question. The second thing is that you translate their question or the answer that you would normally give. So if someone, if you're talking to someone else who... Um, 
who already follows Jesus, and they ask you a question um, about the problem of evil, for example, or the problem of pain, you already have a shared, um, a shared language that you might be able to share with them, that you'd be able to communicate. You'd be able to say something like, well, you know, ever since the fall of man, and we know that Adam fell short, and that while Eve took the, the, the fruit, that Adam didn't stop here, and so therefore now we all have sin, and there's consequences of our sin, and the wages of sin is death. These are all biblically accurate, true things. But if someone who doesn't know Jesus, and you said that exact same answer, you're going to miss out on like, well, who's Adam and Eve? Do you actually believe that Adam and Eve is real? And then you start going down this question. Or, so why if Adam sins and Eve sins, why is it that we all have sin? Do you see what I'm saying? There's a part in which you have a shared language of people who already know Jesus. But how do we translate those truths into a language or into the, a way to communicate with people who don't have that same background? That right now I am learning Hebrew, and that is a language to learn. Um, in English, you guys may know this. You guys know this. Uh, there's this. There are these things called vowels. Very helpful in the English language. And it's each letter, there's a vowel, there's consonants. You read it from your perspective, not from mine. You read it, we read it left to right, and you just sound it out. That's what I, th and I'm learning Greek next month, and so I'll let you know if it's as easy as I think it's going to be. Hebrew, very different. Hebrew is you start from right to left. Originally, there were only consonants, no vowels. But once the Hebrew language became less of a verbal language, that was, um, everything was or, like orally shared. And so uh, after a while, it was not being used as much. And so the Masoretes wanted to make, like show where vowels would go so that the sounds of the text and the language would not get lost. And it's good that they did because now we know. But now what you're doing, instead of reading left to right, letter to letter, you're looking from the right, here's the consonant, then there's a vowel underneath, then the next consonant, then there's a vowel. Then there are these things called silent letters that don't make noises, which I don't understand, but then there's vowels underneath. And so, like, how do you say a silent letter? They're like, you don't. I'm like, sweet. And so, anyways, recognizing it's, it's a different language. If you just show me six weeks ago Hebrew, and it could be any word, I'm like, that. I believe you that those are words and letters. But now I at least have enough of an understanding to translate it in um, the most rudimentary, elementary way. But if I didn't have that, and someone just tried to tell me Hebrew, I'm like, this is what Hebrew means. I don't have that shared language with them. And it's going to be hard. If we don't do the work of translating theological truths in a way that people understand it, it's like showing them Hebrew for the first time without context. How do we translate it? How do we show them? How do we walk it through with them? The third thing is not just translating, but being transparent. This is the one where you share how you have a hard time with this too. You share about how, listen, I'm asking, or you know, you're asking me this question, but I struggle with this too. I don't know fully why there's pain and evil in the world. They may say, you know, you may say, well, I know that pain draws us closer to God, but, but why couldn't there be a better way? How come God doesn't allow, or why, does bad why do bad things happen? Why can God show us a different way? And we can say, listen, I just know, I don't know why, and it's hard for me, and I struggle sometimes with that. Why does God allow this pain? But then you go to letter I, and you insert yourself as a case study, and what this means is you say, I don't know, or this is hard for me, but guess what? What I can tell you is that in my moments of deepest pain, I've never felt closer to God. When I turn to him in prayer, 
And I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of my road. I just feel so confused, so scared. And I see Jesus gives me hope. And my faith is strengthened in pain, and I don't even always know why. But you insert yourself as a case study to share how you've experienced it. And then C is you just challenge them. And I don't mean like, like challenge them, you know, but just like ask them, so what about you? Like what do you think of this? Or how do you, have you seen pain maybe help you grow as a person? Or whatever it is. It's just providing a conversation which is a safe place to affirm, to translate, to be transparent, to insert yourself as a case study, and then lastly to challenge them. So, in the couple minutes I have left, I just want to mention the last point here is that the last way that we clarify the quest is that we model seeking. And we've kind of hit on this a little bit before. It's, seek, it's showing them what it's like to seek God. It's saying, I know I don't have all the answers, so I'm going to seek the Lord for this. Will you come with, this, with me on this journey? It doesn't mean you pretend to not know Jesus. Like, oh, I've never heard of him. Let's seek him together. It's not that. It's recognizing that when we're on a journey, we don't have to have all the answers. We can just be one step ahead of the person with us and walk with them and show them where we've been. It's like when I've walked at night and walking with a, with a group of people, and um, whether it's in our house if the power goes out or whether it's at a Christian camp and you're walking people around, sometimes I can see a little bit better and people are following me. So you can shine your light to show what's ahead of you, but what I'll often do is I'll shine the light just right behind me just so that the people behind me can see just their next step. They don't need to see everything down the road if there's a ditch right here that can break their ankle. They just need to see their next step. And what we can do is we can say, hey, I don't have all the answers, but follow me as I follow Christ. Let me model for you. Let me show you what it's like to seek him. Because, friends, if we are seeking him truly, we will find Jesus Jeremiah 29, 13, if we seek him, we will find him. If we seek him with our whole hearts. So your job is not to have all the answers to every apologetic question that will come. Your job is not to get a ministry degree just so that you can respond. Jesus used people like you and me to reach people like you and me. That in Acts chapter 4, that people looked at the disciples and they said, they talked about how they were just ordinary men. They were uneducated, ordinary men, yet they had been with Jesus. They had spent time with him. They've moved from seeing him as a teacher to a Messiah. And because of that, they were equipped enough by knowing Jesus, being with him, to share the gospel. So, friends, as we close, remembering this quote, what it's going to say from the book, or let me share it so you can remember it. It says this. Go ahead and put it on the screen. By living out the kingdom in front of our friends and inviting them into safe places where they can stretch their seeking muscles, we can help demystify the seeking process and help them enter the seeking posture. We don't have to have all the answers to help people seek. We can just walk with them, shine a light one step behind us, lovingly, patiently, boldly, and truthfully showing them what it means to seek and to follow Christ. Because we want those we know and love to know and love Jesus. And this threshold is vitally important for us to answer questions, respond, model for them. And then when the time comes to ask them, would you like to know him? 
Father, we thank you that you are here with us right now. We thank you that you love us. Lord, I know that there are people who hear my voice right now who are still in the seeking process. And Lord, I thank you for them here today or listening later. I thank you for the fact that um, you know each and every person and you formed each and every person and you want a relationship with us. So God, I pray that for those who are in the midst of seeking, Lord, that they would seek you with their whole heart and then in the end we know according to your word that they will find you. And then like all of us, once we find you, we have to make that decision what to do with that. But Lord, may we seek you and may we help others as they seek you. And Lord, for those of us who have friends or loved ones who are in that place, Lord, give us the boldness, the patience, the love, the wisdom, and may we be guided by your spirit to know how to help them go from wandering around, wondering what might have been, to knowing who they're seeking, spending time with you, and then having the urgency to follow you for their whole lives. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.